Hello and welcome to the JCR, a Massey podcast. My name is ChatGPT. I am a large language model trained by OpenAI. Essentially, I am an AI language model that has been programmed to understand natural language and generate human-like responses to questions and prompts. I am capable of answering a wide variety of questions on a broad range of topics, from science and technology to history, culture, and more. I can also engage in conversations, offer advice, and even tell jokes if that's what you're looking for. As a language model, I am constantly learning and improving based on the data and information that I am trained on, so I am always up to date on the latest developments and trends in various fields. I am here to help answer any questions you might have and engage in interesting and informative discussions, so feel free to ask away. Not quite so fast, ChatGPT. I'm Ben Pulver, a doctoral student in art history at the University of Toronto. And this is my episode of the JCR, a Massey podcast where people and ideas intersect. In this episode, I'm joined by five other junior fellows at Massey College. My name is Karthi Ganesan. I'm a fifth-year PhD student in computer engineering. My name is Elizabeth Hicks, and I am in first year over at the law school, and I have a bachelor's degree and a master's degree in English literature from Memorial University of Newfoundland and Labrador. Hi, my name is Christian Tran. I'm a junior fellow at Massey College, and I'm also a PhD candidate at the University of Toronto's Faculty of Information, where I study digital labor, platforms, and game live streaming. I'm Noah Khan. I'm in my first year of a PhD, technically in social justice education. That's the department that I'm in. But what I study is philosophy of technology. My name is Nathaniel Starkman. I'm an upper-year PhD student in the Department of Astronomy and Astrophysics. They are all studying in different disciplines at the University of Toronto and are here to share their views on this relatively new phenomenon of ChatGPT and how it is having an influence on their fields of study. Over the winter break, it dawned on me that ChatGPT was, in some ways or another, infiltrating or having an effect on nearly every field of study and work. I was hanging out with friends back home. It was half past midnight. And for the third time that night, we were circling back to the topic of this new technology, like it had some gravitational pull. There was a visceral excitement in the air. All of a sudden, my friend became very solemn and proclaimed that each and every one of us, no matter our job, would, in some capacity, have to face the effects of ChatGPT or some other program from the larger AI family. It was a sobering thought. We wondered, what would our engagement with this technology look like? And how will we navigate the ethical and privacy issues? This podcast, ChatGPT, Friend or Foe, Move Fast and Break Things, dives into how junior fellows at Massey College are using this new technology, or not, in their work. We'll discuss how it works, some legal problems, some reality checks, some questions about its management, its presence in the arts and in education, and finally, discussions on labor, and maybe, if we can find it, some optimism. Christine is interested in using ChatGPT as well and would find it useful, if only it would let her in. 
fun story. The first time I tried to use GPT, I got led to a cutesy message about how they were over capacity. And I just, even as I just wanted to speculate how this works so I could follow along with the seminar about chat GPT and teaching considerations, uh, they just didn't have the bandwidth to entertain me while I was in that seminar. And I think that's a teachable moment about how we often talk about these technologies like OpenAI, about what they, about their capacity, in terms of their capacity for future, you know, in terms of speculation. And there's little theorization of how is it like actually affecting us right now in the present and who is left, like physically left out of these conversations determined on their bandwidth. Nathaniel Starkman has had better luck getting access to ChatGPT. He might use it at the very beginning of a coding exercise to help understand the problem and the way it's being addressed. You're looking at that blank piece of paper and you're like, how do I begin? And rather than defining sort of the positive aspects, I want this thing to do this. I want this thing to do that, which is very necessary. You need to have that to understand the problem. And another way of approaching a problem is to look at something that already exists and say, this is wrong or this is not good enough for these reasons. And so it allows you to do both of these things when tackling a problem. You start off the problem by saying, I want to do this. I want it to have these aspects. And so you ask uh, um, GitHub Copilot to do that for you. It produces something. Uh, and now you have something that you can look at and you say, this is wrong for these reasons. And that helps you then define the scope of your problem better. As Nathaniel notes, ChatGPT can be used as a window into possible directions, a space to bounce ideas off of what not to do as much as what to do. While Nathaniel uses ChatGPT early in the coding process, others turn to it at a later stage. Noah uses it when he's getting tired in his work, when he gets to a crossroads, and when he begins the editing process. So this, the point that I start to kind of get a little bit slower, I feel like I'm losing the, the track of my, of my writing, and especially if I've uh, done some writing and then come to it uh, the next day, where I'm not exactly entirely familiar with what I've been writing because, you know, the vicissitudes of everyday life, you forget um, the, the kind of line of thought, the line of argumentation you were, you were on. And then so I just dump it into ChatGPT and then say, okay, what should I write next? And then it'll give me a whole bunch of ideas. And importantly, all of those ideas are very bad. Then I come to a process of figuring out what it is that I'm going to write by understanding what it is that I don't want to write. And so I think that's the way in which ChatGPT is valuable, is that it can provide information at, that's somewhat relevant um, at incredibly high speeds and with incredible accessibility, even if it's not good at what it's doing, um, if, if what it's supposed to be doing is to be right. I don't look for ChatGPT to be right, I look for it to be useful. Noah raises a great question. How useful is ChatGPT, and to whom? If it's useful to us, or at the very least, if it's fun, we have to remember to ask, is it more useful to the business of OpenAI? And so we return to this question, who is ChatGPT made for? It sells itself as a democratizing AI tool, but it's also a massive data collection project. Christine pointed out that it's not always so accessible, bad connections and too many people are gumming up the bandwidth. And then there are concerns about privacy breaches. For example, this month, Italy banned ChatGPT over privacy concerns, and Canada's Privacy Commission is investigating. Karthik's research works to catch up to the speed at which innovation in the sector takes place. What's important to understand is that they did not fundamentally change what ChatGPT is. 
which means all the things that it learned are still in there so you can kind of stem a single manifestation that you don't like but all you've done is fix a symptom you have not addressed the root cause and a kind of another interesting example is ChatGPT is part of a class of algorithms called natural language processing or NLP algorithms and NLP is starting to see widespread use for example in the US mortgage lenders have started using it to check whether they should give someone a mortgage or not it takes in information about the person and it will simply coldly unreasoningly just say yes or no and it has been shown that this is extremely discriminatory towards marginalized communities and when asked the mortgage lender said don't talk to me I didn't make the model I just do what it says and then it goes into this back and forth of even the person who developed the model then says well I just trained it on whatever data I had it learned what it wanted to learn so one of the other challenges with this is there tends to be this diffusion of responsibility and any policy in that tries to control this has to take that into account and make every party accountable to some extent. Part of the issue though is that we can't find transparency in the systems and their workings. That is the same challenge as asking a neuroscientist, can you tell me exactly which neuron controls this? And they really can't. So we're stuck with this problem of we can kind of dimly see what's going on my research specifically kind of looks more at what are the problems this causes. There is an orthogonal field of study which is looking at something called explainable AI. How can we infer? And through doing so, how can we hope to hold these models accountable? If we know that this thing is saying something which we want to fix, we want to understand why it says it, this field of study is trying to find a way to systematically pin that down. Because, of course, you know, the first way to solve a problem is to understand the root cause. With such a problematic base, how can ChatGPT be helpful in education, if at all? We're all talking about students using ChatGPT to write papers. The problem is, we simply have not figured out how to track or identify these yet. And we assume that this is bad, but maybe we can find some benefit to ChatGPT in education. This is the research that Noah Khan is doing. I want to research um, its effects on the educational experience. So I found that the interaction with ChatGPT is kind of the deepest human AI encounter that we've seen across society. So a kind of accessible human AI encounter where people really realize the philosophical depth of the encounter with technology. So I think, for instance, in educational technologies, the, which is a field within education, there's been a large focus on the practical use of technology. So, you know, when is it effective to use this technology or that technology without understanding um, what is actually happening within that encounter with the AI um, as a pedagogically significant moment or a philosophically significant moment. And so that's what I'm looking to research throughout my program. But in terms of it being uh, a tool for research, um, this is also something that I see it as, as having value for. While Noah has hope for the future of ChatGPT tech in education, Elizabeth Hicks is more cynical about its benefits. I, for the past four years, have been teaching as a per-course instructor, uh, first year English at Memorial. 
and I've done it online for the past three years and I, I never meet my students. I meet some of them over Zoom, but there's been a lot of plagiarism issues, um, mostly with people using these online essay banks that are behind paywalls, but I have this teacher secret where I can see <laughs> if they've used these essay banks and I have access to them without... I didn't know that existed. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so it's very disappointing to me when I run into the issues like that, but I do understand how it happens. All that to say, I'm very interested in how ChatGPT is going to change online learning specifically in courses where all of the evaluation is writing because if you never have to write any sort of proctored assignment you're not learning anything if you're putting the prompt into chat gpt for elizabeth putting the prompt into chat gpt takes away a lot of the space for learning that these courses are all about she knows that instructors are going to have to change their evaluation methods so that students can still learn the basics. Learn, which is, in short, critical thinking skills and the ability to read texts and then have their own ideas about them to synthesize information. And if you're asking a tool to do that for you, and you're a young person who's never done that sort of task before, you're still learning how to think critically, then your access to that tool could actually just hinder your ability to do it at all. And then if all of our youth are losing their ability to critically think, I don't know, I don't need to like go into that more. We know that that's a bad thing. So Apocalypse as somebody music, yeah. teaching 17, 18, 19 year olds about how to write an essay, how to interpret a text, we're going to need to find a way to evaluate people differently because in that way the tool, even though it has all these amazing capabilities for the workforce, <laughs> it's a little spooky in terms of education mm. and how it might, uh, it, it might seem like it's helping you write your essay, but if you've never written an essay, it's not helping you. On the other hand, if ChatGPT is integrated into lessons, perhaps students can be taught to use it effectively to enhance their learning experience and maybe raise the quality of students' work. Maybe this is overly optimistic, but Noah thinks that making this technology accessible and well-taught are crucial steps. Technology that's more, more inclusive, um, technology that kind of meets the needs of, of education, which is really the ethos of education is trying to meet the student where they're at. Um, and currently, ChatGPT doesn't exactly do that because it does require um, a specific skill set, a specific uh, technological literacy to be able to use it properly. I know that if I asked my mom to use ChatGPT, she would just not be able to do so in an in effective manner. Um, sorry, mom, but uh, I do think uh, getting those skills across to, to individuals, especially with how powerful the technology is, uh, is going to be one of the challenges of education moving forward. Apart from education, is there some value for ChatGPT in the arts as a tool for brainstorming? Artists were at first concerned that OpenAI's other service, DALI, the image generating program, would take away their jobs. Elizabeth Hicks is also a scriptwriter and filmmaker. She doesn't think that ChatGPT can replace her creative work anytime soon. I have trouble imagining how AI could help artists be more efficient not saying that it's not possible, 
but I just think that what we value so much about art is that it is human and uh, maybe speaking in a practical way uh, there is this sort of strange like like you're saying like hit deadlines be efficient do things as quickly as possible we're going to reduce the rehearsal period so we can get the show up faster but all of that really comes down to like people and I'm more on the like writing acting side of things but there is this other giant world of theater of the technical arts that maybe there's something about AI that could help with and maybe it's already being done I just don't know about it yeah I just have trouble in you know conversations about efficiency and how AI could revolutionize everything we're doing and labor in general I think creative labor is going to take as long as it's going to take <laughs> and I, I just can't really see a world where that would help in in theater or film spaces I really like what Elizabeth says about creative labor that it is going to take as long as it's going to take employing these tools for greater efficiency is not always in the best interest of the artist and the artistic process and on the stage Sometimes it's the inaccuracies of human error that make the theater most interesting. You're listening to The JCR, a Massey podcast. I'm Ben Pulvert, and today we're exploring how ChatGPT is creeping into every corner of your life. As a language model, I can do lots of things with language. I can understand what you're saying, talk to you, generate text, translate languages, and summarize long texts. People use me to help with writing, customer service, making content, and doing research. But when we think about ChatGPT as a powerful tool, we also have to think about its obfuscation of labor. And Christine says, maybe we have to think about the term AI as a blanket word for the abstracted or hidden labor that went into it. In other words, ChatGPT has been a useful case for colleagues of mine who consider the history of hidden labor and content moderation labor uh, behind the internet. For many platforms like Facebook or Instagram, this human labor of filtering obscene or fr downright frightening images and content has been a very emotionally and structurally fraught uh, field to understand. And while ChatGPT proffers the idea where we cut that labor out and it's all computers, there's many people or colleagues contending with the very human cost and legacy of what it takes to put those tools in implementation. Uh, many people would argue things like there's no such thing as AI, it is only various forms of obscuring human labor and making uh, the, the those lines, those visibilities between user and content producer more opaque as opposed to transparent. Of this invisible or hidden labor, Time Magazine wrote about workers in Kenya making $2 an hour to curate ChatGPT to make it appear to react in a more human or humane manner. Nathaniel Starkman says there is a term for people who do this. It's called mechanical Turks. Mm. The idea is that in the context of these large models, right, you are training them, uh, and then they will produce racist, incorrect, uh, offensive answers. and you have essentially human curation where you pay people minimum wage uh, to tr continue to train the bot, uh, the model, away from uh, these sort of undesirable uh, responses to undesirable inputs. Uh, I know there's a somewhat relevant, but like from, I think it was 
uh, Federalist Paper number 51. It was like, you know, if, if all men were angels, there would be no need of government, right? If we always input exactly good things into these models, the hope is we'd always get out good things as well. Uh, now, this isn't always true. Sometimes you can get out bad things. But if you put input bad things, you're liable to get bad things out uh, as well. And so part of the point of like the mechanical Turks, right, is you uh, pay lots and lots of people very, very little to do this unrecognized amount of curation for, for these models. Although ChatGPT seems to be creeping into every academic field, it feels a bit like a runaway train, one that lacks the right checks and balances because it's still so new. Karthik is a PhD student in computer engineering. Yeah, I think it, the popularity of something like ChatGPT, when it suddenly bursts onto the scene, gives people working in this space an opportunity. It puts this on everybody's radar. So thinking about someone like Edward Snowden, where he suddenly said, hey, you know, this massive amount of spying is going on. It suddenly shone a light on what was happening. And I think that's the benefit of something like this, which also puts AI researchers in the position of having to maybe splash a bit of cold water in people's face and warn them that it's important not to maybe get romanticized by it. No matter how well ChatGPT writes poetry, it is not a poet. It is, do not be too crass, regurgitating what it has seen. So we should be very careful not to assign agency to it and not to anthropomorphize it. And to go along with that is this idea that, please understand, AI is a very powerful tool. It's a very easy to use tool. Almost anybody can do it. You have a computer, you can do it. But with that comes risks. If researchers can't explain what's going on, if you just have people or state actors doing it who also don't understand, you now have this runaway train. Now, this is the problem with technology is you can't put the genie back in the bottle. The current model for ChatGPT and innovation more broadly in this field seems to be... Move fast and break things. These things have moved faster than we know how to deal with them. In the form of AI, the solution is challenging, but relatively straightforward. We don't have a deep understanding of the mathematics of AI. Now that we have ChatGPT, we have to reckon with its impacts and decide how it could and should be regulated. Before she makes any judgments, Christine wants to at least get in and play with it. Let me in, ChatGPT. Let me see. I would like to play with it before I make a determinative moral value of it. But let's hesitate before we define technologies in terms of speculation of what it could be. I mean, could we use ChatGPT to load up a laser and shoot the moon? Sure, I could say that. Is it doing anything right now that is tangibly affecting my everyday life? Well, we'll wait and see. But humans don't live in the long term or in speculation. They live with their relationship to humans and non-humans right now now and I think there needs to be a slowdown of the type of discourse that comes out uh, and critiques these tools before we make moral valuative statements of them. Well, it is easy to say, wow, ChatGPT can do so many things for me. It can recommend books, give me dating advice, generate new recipes. What an amazing technology. It is also easy to say, this is terrifying. It is moving way too fast. It needs to slow down and be more regulated. And as Elizabeth said, Maybe the important thing to remember moving forward is to take the benefits from systems like ChatGPT with a grain of salt. We need to be aware of the many facets of its life so far, including its obfuscation of cheap labor and its potential in education. 
And ChatGPT could never have done this podcast. Or could it? I'm Ben Pulver, and this is the JCR, a production of the Junior Fellows at Massey College at the University of Toronto. You've been listening to Friend or Foe, Move Fast and Break Things, ChatGPT. Thanks to Karthik Gennison, Elizabeth Hicks, Christine Tran, Noah Khan, and Nathaniel Starker. 